I have really enjoyed this theme that we've had all month long, the arrival of love. And we're at the end of that theme, and we're going to talk about love takes time this morning. It's good to see you all. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and if you're joining us online this morning, we're grateful that you've uh, tuned in as well. We pray that your worship and your Christmas will be an awesome one as you celebrate. Love takes time. Has anybody ever said to you, just take your time? Maybe you're out shopping for a special gift for that special someone and somebody says, just take your time. Look all you want. Because you know if you make a hasty decision, you'll probably have regrets that go along with that. Or if you're working on a project, you better take your time. If you get too hurried, you'll, well, you'll mess up and have to do the project all over again. If you're eating a gourmet meal to celebrate an anniversary, take your time and savor every bite. If you're walking along the beach, take your time and savor every view. If you're walking through the forest, just take your time and enjoy God's creation. Young parents, take your time as you raise your kids. I know you're, you're at a point where you probably, well, can't hardly catch your breath. But do your best, work diligently to make sure that you build memories so when you get to the older years of your life, you will be able to enjoy those memories of the past because love as a parent takes time. Invest in your marriages this morning as well. Old love is the best love, but it takes time to develop that kind of love. The special moments, the ups and downs, the victories of defeat weave together like a beautiful tapestry. The love that grows stronger with every passing day. Love takes time. And you think, what, what in the world does that have to do with Christmas? Well, really, it has everything to do with Christmas. Christmas takes time. God's love takes time. Have you ever wondered why Christmas happened when it happened? I mean, after all, Genesis records that right after Adam and Eve sinned, God gives us this veiled promise that he's going to send a Savior. So why didn't God just send the Savior right then and there at the end of Adam and Eve's part of the creation event? But the Savior didn't come. For generations upon generations upon generations. Why such a long wait? Well, I know God has all kinds of reasons, but I can think of at least a couple. If he had come right then, I fear the impact of his coming would have been largely lost or forgotten through the passing of time. If, if Jesus came at the end of Genesis chapter 3, the Bible would be a pamphlet, not a book. And we would have assumed that it was not for us, that it was just for Adam and Eve. I mean, who buys a book where the introduction and the conclusion is all on the same page? Last year, I, I read David McCullough's classic work uh, on the Wright Brothers. It's a great book. But it, it chronicles their personalities and the history and the mixing of all those things together. If his book had simply said... The Wright brothers built bicycles and then they built airplanes. The end, who would have gone out and bought the book? It would have been historically accurate, but it sure would have left you feeling empty. You wouldn't have gotten all that goes into making that narrative so awesome. You see, a good narrative takes time to develop. And if Jesus had come at the end of Genesis 3, we would have concluded that it's not much 
of an event. Here's something else. What makes the story life-changing for me is the chronicle of all the people who have lived between the opening pages of God's Word and the closing pages and, and our, our days today. We read the story of men and women, their ups and their downs, their, their struggles with this walk of faith. And I don't know about you, but when I read about their lives, I'm challenged. Sometimes I'm encouraged. Sometimes seeing where they struggle helps me where I struggle. It is this whole journey of faith that is included in God's Word that makes it all come together. The height the, the tightly held promise of God, what he would do is what they clung to. What we cling to is what God has done. And suddenly we realize that we who live 2,000 years past Christmas are as much a part of God's story as Abraham who lived 2,000 years before Christmas. You see, when God picked the time for Jesus to be born, it pulled us all together in his grand and glorious story. Now, most of us would say, well, the story of Christmas is found in Matthew and, and Luke, but I don't remember any reading anything about time. Well, that's probably true. But Paul, in his book to the Christians at Galatia, in that little letter, has this real tiny snippet that just gives us another glimpse into the Christmas story. And in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it reads like this. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. To redeem. It's a legal term that describes a transaction where something that has been pawned is bought back at an exaggerated price. Jesus was born for that singular purpose. To buy back the soul that had been pawned to sin at an exaggerated price. So every week that we get together, no matter what day or month it is, every Sunday we celebrate the very heartbeat of Christmas and the priceless meaning of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in one singular moment. And if I had one word that would serve as a theme for the Lord's Supper, it would be the word redeem. Because when we take the bread and we take the cup and we celebrate it together, it reminds us, it reminds us of what God has done that only God could do, that he bought us back at an exaggerated price. So as we eat the bread and drink the cup just now, let us pause to reflect that this is the reason Jesus came. So does any of the stuff we talk about at Christmas really matter? I mean, you know, isn't this just a story that is designed to make us feel warm and fuzzy at a time of the year when we need to feel warm and fuzzy and to do something special like Christmas. I mean, does any of the stuff we really talk about matter? Well, I can't answer that for you, but I can't answer it for me. I, I want you to know this morning that I could not stand up here and talk about what I believe every week if I thought the story of Christmas or the, or the scriptures were on an equal par with Rumpelstiltskin or the Three Little Pigs. For me, this is life-changing stuff. Now, do I ever have doubts? Of course I have doubts. Everybody's got doubts at some point in time if they, if they truly admit it. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with doubts as long as we seek an answer for those doubts. That's one of the reasons I'm really excited about this series that's coming up early in January, beginning on the 14th, called Room for Doubt. 
We're going to explore the doubts that we have and what answers we can come up with those, uh, for those doubts and, and, and try to be as honest and open as we can be and create a safe environment to express those concerns because everybody has to work through these in some form or fashion. You see, I've got more questions than I've got answers. But here's what I've come to realize. I'm not going to get all those questions answered in this life. But for me, the evidence I can see and the answers I do have far outweighs what I cannot see or answer. This is no ordinary moment that we celebrate. This is God at work in history because, you see, love takes time. So let's just unpack that verse in Galatians that we read a little bit earlier for, for a couple minutes. God came at the perfect time. That's, a, that's the first thing I think we see. God came at the perfect time. Have you ever stopped to think about God's perfect timing? The major events of, of his history are, are well thought out. Daniel chapter 2 says he changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. In that marvelous passage from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says, There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Don't overlook this concept of time. And don't just gloss over what we read in Galatians there. When time had fully come. It was an incredible period of history. Rome brought to the world a sense of peace. The Greek language, perhaps one of the most precise languages ever, had become a universal language like English is today. Although English is not nearly the precise language that the Greek was. And the Hebrew people had brought a concept of monotheism, that there is only one God, and that paved the way for the coming of the Savior. In that verse, when time had fully come, the word time in the original text is the word chronos, from which we get our English word chronology. And it means that Jesus came at just the right time in the chronology of history. God never does anything incidentally or accidentally. His timing is perfect. It's been said God is never in a hurry, but he's never late either. Our lives don't always go as we expect, but then our perspective is somewhat limited. Isaiah 55 says, as the, high end, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You got to remember, folks, God's timing is not our timing. And when things don't seem to work out in our timing, we have to trust that they are the best in God's timing. And to win this battle for our souls took perfect timing. So let me ask you, how about you? Has the time fully come when you need to make some changes in your life? Has the time fully come when you need to get some things right with the Lord? I can't think of a better time, a more beautiful time, than to turn your life and heart over to him who can make your life beautiful again. The chronos is right. God is never late. Let's make sure we aren't ever late. You know, when it comes to the chronology of Christmas, I wouldn't have done it like God. I would have chosen the time right after the kingdom of David. That's when Israel was at its zenith. Or maybe that time period right after World War II when our global community lay in ruins and everybody lacked hope. Or, or maybe, maybe if it was up to me, I would have had Jesus born right now. During this powder keg of culture, 
When things are just so much up in the air and people have so many fears and questions, when moral integrity seems to be at its bottom and you can't seem to find peace much of any place. I think now would have been a really good time for Jesus to come. But God knew that in the days of Caesar Augustus was just the right time. Augustus was in his early 30s when he came to power. He provided a sense of peace for the Roman Empire and the peoples that they had conquered. Um, he, he instilled Roman values in the land. And, did you know this? He was even called the Son of God. Hmm. Pretty fitting then that Jesus should be born during that reign because you see Jesus was in his early 30s, probably 30, when he initiated his kingdom. And Jesus instilled his values into the lives of broken people. And he brought a sense of peace as the prince of peace, and he was indeed the son of God. I think God picked the perfect time for Jesus to come. And because he came when he did, he is still instilling us with hope that even in this powder keg of a world that we live in, He's got our backs. He's going to take care of us. He's got the future in his hands. Love takes time, and timing is everything. And when God came, it was the perfect time. Here's something else, though. God came at the perfect time to be the perfect gift. Now, I don't know about you, but each year I think it gets harder and harder to find the perfect gift for the people that we love. One kid said that his grandmother had given him a cool gift, but it was the wrong size. When somebody said, well, what size was it? He held up a $5 bill and said, I was hoping for something a little bit larger. <laughs> U.S. consumers, on average, if you, if you take everybody across the nation, average them all out, U.S. consumers will spend an average of $830 this year on Christmas gifts. The most popular price range being between $20 and $30, looking for that perfect gift. And to deliver these perfect gifts, more than 107 million holiday travelers, the most ever, will take to the roads, rails, and skyways this weekend. And this year, 500,000 Chia Pets will be sold for Christmas gifts. It's been that way for the last several years. They only market them at Christmas time. A half a million. Who buys these things? And over 4 million pounds of fruitcake will be purchased this season, but only six fruitcakes will be eaten. <laughs> Since 1995, Manitou Springs, Colorado has hosted the great fruitcake toss on a Saturday in January. The all-time record is 1,420 feet set by a group of eight Boeing aircraft engineers. Go figure on that one. But the hand toss record, a hand toss of a fruitcake, is, it stands at 415 feet. That's a long way to chuck a fruitcake, isn't it? I'm telling you. Now, here's, here's a little known fact that may come in handy for your Christmas celebration this year. Fruitcakes can age up to 25 years and still be enjoyed as long as they have the right preservatives and are stored in tightly closed tins. So, that fruitcake that you inherited from your grandparents, you can break it out this Christmas and everybody will still enjoy it. Well, the best gift, the perfect gift for Christmas has already, has already been given. 
And it was God himself in the person of his son as he came into this world to do what only the God of the universe could accomplish for us. Imagine, folks, just imagine. His royalty was laid aside the moment he became an embryo. Imagine. The one who created the vast universe became so tiny you could not see him with the human eye. Imagine the word of God as an infant who couldn't utter a word. Imagine the perfect Lord thrust into an imperfect world, his entry into a smelly manger at birth only symbolized his confrontation with the spiritual stench of this world caused by sin. I read of one church who scattered manure and straw all throughout the worship center for their Christmas Eve service to make it more realistic. We chose not to do that this year. But I understand what they were trying to communicate. That it isn't this warm and lovely environment that Jesus entered. He came into a world that was awful. The stench of sin. He had to live with all of his life. Uh, that, that picture came home to me many, many years ago. I, I was actually a student minister in Ferguson, Missouri at the time and went to visit one of the ladies of our congregation who lived in inner city St. Louis. And she lived in what we called uh, one of the old shotgun style houses. You know, they're very narrow. They're close together. They have, you know, just go from one room to the next room to the next room. And she lived alone. Now, I, I say she lived alone, but that's really not quite accurate. She lived alone as a human being, but she had dozens of dogs and cats that were cooped up in the house with her all the time. When I, when I stepped in the door, the stench nearly knocked me over. I, I, I can still, it's been 40 years, folks. I can still remember that moment. I stayed there for an hour visiting with her and was able to get out and breathe again. When Jesus came to this world, he stayed a lifetime. And it must have smelled to him like that house smelled to me because of the decay and death of sin. Why did he do it? Because he loved us more than life itself. And he stayed a long time because love takes time. When the Apollo crew landed on the moon in the summer of 1969, then President Richard Nixon exaggerated the event by saying, this is the most important event in all of human history. But evangelist Billy Graham corrected the president and said, no, the most important event in human history was not when man set foot on the moon, but when the infinite eternal God set foot on the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. He was and is the perfect gift. And then this, God came at the perfect time to be the perfect gift for the perfect purpose. The best gift is the gift that you truly need, but you forgot to ask for, but you get it anyway. And that's what God did. We didn't know to ask for a Savior, but he knew what our greatest need was and gave us a Savior anyway. As I mentioned earlier, it was to redeem those under the law, to buy us back. And that kind of love takes time. God loves us by the right of creation, but he loves us also by the right of purchase. Redeem, folks, is not the same thing as regifting. Regifting means you give away a gift twice. Redemption means you pay for something twice. When you bought it originally and when you bought it back. There's this 
marvelous picture of God reaching down, paying more than he should have for us so that we might go home. We chose sin over God, but God retained the right of redemption. He chose to be the one who would pay the price. At Christmas, God said, I choose you. This slogan's been around for a long time. It's a beautiful slogan. I, I, I like it. Uh, I, I've seen it on Christmas cards. I've seen it on posters and yards. As a matter of fact, there's a beautiful home not too long, far from here that has a great light display. And on the roof, emblazoned in lights, is this very slogan. Jesus is the reason for the season. I really appreciate the, the decoration of that particular house. And I know what the slogan means. But it's, it's not quite true. Jesus isn't the reason for the season. You're the reason for the season. If it had not been for our sin, there would have been no need for him to come. We are the reason for the season. We're the reason that Jesus came. We're the reason that love took so much time. Ajay Lal leads the Central India Christian Mission in India. Great, great leader of, of what's going on there. And, and a mission that we support. And uh, a couple years ago, Ajay told the story of, of shepherds in India. 14% of the Indian population, 168 million, are shepherds. And shepherds in India, just like shepherds in Bethlehem, were at the very lowest rung of society's ladder of influence. As a matter of fact, in India where you have a two-caste system, you have the high caste and you have the low caste, the shepherds are, are at the bottom. And so when they went to evangelize the shepherds of India, Ajay said the, the preachers used the story of Christmas. And they said something like this. Our society tells us you are untouchable. You're at the very bottom of the list. But God doesn't feel that way. You must be pretty high on God's list because when God sent his son into this world, he told the shepherds first. And they carried the message with them after his birth. Ajay said that in the first month after preaching that message to the shepherds of India, 5,000 shepherds gave their lives to Jesus Christ and were baptized. Why? Because who can turn away from the perfect gift at the perfect time for the perfect reason? You and I have the same gift. And he presents himself to us every day of our lives the one that can take away the stench of our sin. Love takes time. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know that you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.